through all of this and bringing us up to where we're going to be at in Scripture. You know, the Bible teaches us very, very clearly that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that, of course. And uh, we all understand this, that we're all sinners. It also tells us that not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. And the fact that we cannot earn our way to heaven, we cannot go to church, we cannot uh, be baptized, we cannot uh, do good deeds and good works and make it to heaven. Those things will not take us there. And I think a lot of people believe that a lot of times. And so we understand that. And so we understand that the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. And that's the, that's the thing that saves us. It's not our works. It's not our church membership. It's not our baptism. Uh, it's not living a good life. And we understand these things. And so we come to a place in our lives where we realize that we're sinners and we cannot save ourselves from that sin. We cannot get forgiveness of it on our own. There's not enough good that we can do in this world to earn our way into heaven. And since that is the case, we are destined to go to hell to pay for our sins unless we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come to bring a message of condemnation to us. We were already in our condemnation. He came to bring us a message of salvation, that He came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we put our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not our works. And when we do that, the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And uh, the Bible tells us, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And so when we get saved, uh, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us. He literally, the Bible uses the word quicken, and that word means to be made alive. It makes us something in us that used to be dead, that wasn't there before, is now living inside of us and is alive and is active in our life. And the idea or the phrase that we use, walking in the Spirit, is a phrase that the Bible talks about uh, and deals with the fact of living our life with the Holy Spirit's leading and direction and uh, prodding in our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with God's Word. Uh, he always takes the truth of God's Word. It sheds light on it, it illuminates it in our hearts so we have an understanding of it, and then prompts us by way of our conscience and, and His working in our hearts to live according to what we read in Scripture. And when we are able to live in, in the way that the Bible refers to as walking in the Spirit, uh, it allows us to bear fruit. Now, I've heard people teach and preach uh, for many, many years, I went to a Bible college and heard them over and over and over again at the colleges that I went to, uh, teach exclusively that fruit is only uh, winning people to Christ, seeing other people come to Christ. And then as I got out of Bible college and began to read my Bible and study, that is not the only fruit the Bible speaks of in the Christian life. There is additional fruit that ought to be there, and in fact, I think is even as, as important as, as, if not more so important, than even the leading of someone to Christ. Because I believe that if we do not have this fruit nailed down in our lives, that we are a poor testimony when it comes to witnessing to people and telling people 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, Paul dealt with the church at Galatia about the works of the flesh, the old nature, the way we used to be before we got saved, and the lust of that flesh, the desires of it. And we always associate the word lust with um, uh, physical or sexual impurity sometimes, but in the usage that Paul used it as, it's any human appetite or fleshly appetite uh, that would be of the world. Uh, it may not be uh, sexual immorality. It may be uh, covetousness. It may be um, backbiting. It may be slander. It may be gossip. It could be any number of worldly things that the flesh longs for and desires to do. And so we talked a little bit about that and taught on that last week. Uh, regarding those things, that these uh, are the contrary one to the other. They're obviously at war all the time. They're striving. They're pulling. It's like a giant tug of war. And uh, the Spirit is pulling us one direction. The flesh is pulling us the other direction. And we've mentioned this numerous times before, but the one that we give the greater importance to, the one that we, some people say it this way, the one we feed the most is the one that is going to be the stronger of the two. It's so, it's so important then that we guard ourselves from the things that would draw us to the things of the world. We've got to be careful what we watch, what we look at, what we read. Uh, television sets, computer monitors, books, billboards, uh, locations that we go to where we see things. I, I mentioned a few minutes ago in the other service about the first time I ever went to a water park. You say, why, why did you have to be so careful of that? Because we have to guard our eyes. We have to be careful what we put in them. Uh, why? Because that's going to feed the flesh. Uh, we have to be careful of the things we hear, the things we allow come into our minds, the things that we read in, in books. I, I am not a fan, and I'm going to uh, probably make some people upset at this. I'm not a fan of Christian romances that are written. You say, well, Pastor, they're written by Christian authors. But it causes women to become dissatisfied with their own husbands. And I don't think that it ought to have a place in any Christian's life. I just don't. Uh, those are things we have to be so careful of. Why? Because they feed our flesh nature. They begin to cause us to desire those things. And so I, I just want to say we've got to be so careful of allowing things in our lives, in our eyes and our ears, that would cause us to gravitate to the things of the flesh. And we dealt with that last uh, Sunday. What we ought to do and, and what ought to be used to help us counter that is not only set our hearts to not involve ourselves in things like that, but to set our hearts to involve ourselves in as much as we can with the things of God. Uh, not just departing from the sin, but setting our hearts to desire God. Uh, I don't think that we can ever, ever overdose on reading God's Word. I don't think we can ever overdose in listening to preaching, good preaching, biblical preaching. Be careful some of the stuff you hear on the Internet, uh, some of the things you turn tune in on the television sets, uh, some of the speakers that you listen to. Uh, you say, what's a, what's a good rule of thumb to start with to, to know who to listen to? Well, start by saying, I'm only going to listen to people that use the King James Version. I think that's a great first step. Of, of eliminating who you're going to listen to and who you're not going to listen to. Um, they're going to use a corrupt Bible, then obviously their doctrine and their teaching is going to be corrupt. And so start with that. Now, does that mean everybody that teaches from the King James is right? No. Then you have to take them to Scripture and find out is what they're saying scriptural, biblical. If not, don't listen to them. But bombard yourself, saturate yourself with the things of the Lord. 
uh, revival services come up. Uh, make, make plans to go to them if at all possible. You say, well, I'm tired. It's been a hard day's work. Uh, enjoy the time spending it with God's people. And uh, you have special services at the church or you have college night here at the church. Uh, make advantage of that as much as is possible uh, to saturate yourself, to be involved in the things of the Lord. Why? Because it allows us to strengthen that area of our life that is at war with the flesh. It allows it to be stronger, to have that, that, that stronger pull, if you will. And so Paul is dealing with that here as we get to Galatians chapter 5. And he talks about this conflict, this war between the spirit and the flesh. And uh, last week we dealt with the flesh. In verse number 22, he switches gears. So again, Paul is a master of doing this. He'll, he'll, t- he'll teach one thing foundationally, and then he'll draw a conclusion of and give instruction towards uh, the, the opposite of that. And so in verse number 22, he says, But, again, this is a, a, a contrasting conjunction, a conjunction that allows there to be a comparison or a contrast given. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is contrasted against the works of the flesh, as we learned about last week. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's, notice this please, have what? Crucified the flesh... With the affections and lusts, if we live in the Spirit. So here we have a contrast again of a part of us being crucified or or being dead to it, but living for something else. So he says this, if we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I think oftentimes when it comes to teaching on the fruit of the Spirit... Uh, we look at this as uh, things that we need to incorporate into our lives. And we're looking uh, outwardly, we're seeing these things, if you will, sitting on a spiritual shelf and saying, okay, I need to put that in my life, that in my life, that in my life, and that in my life. But, but I think we're looking at it wrong when we think of it in terms like that. I believe the intent of what Paul is dealing with here is not to show us things we need to be working on to try to get into our lives, I believe what he's trying to give us here is a measuring tape to see where our life is. He's saying this is the indicator of a life that is walking in the Spirit. These are the things that would characterize a person that has died or crucified themselves to the flesh and is now desired to walk in the Spirit. And they pursue after that. We talked last hour about uh, being diligent in this area uh, of of adding to our faith and and following after the things of God. And rather than looking at this as a list of things to try to to, uh, to, uh, uh, come into uh, uh, possession of and try to make it part of our lives, I believe that we're to walk in the Spirit in such a way that these things begin to happen and begin to produce fruit in us. And this is given to us as a way to measure Am I walking in the Spirit? Do I have in my life these things? Now, there's two things I believe that Paul very, uh, very much alludes to when he refers to this thing as being fruit. I think there's two possible things that we need to look at with regards to fruit. Notice the Bible says this, But the fruit of the Spirit 
His love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Whose fruit is it, first of all? Let me ask you that question. Whose fruit is it? Is it my fruit? Is it what I do out of purposing in my heart that I will not defile myself? That's keeping me from sin, but that's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit working in me. It's understood here that there has to be a yieldedness or a submission to, a seeking for, a looking for the Holy Spirit to lead us in our daily lives. Where do we find God's will in living our daily lives? Where do we find it? In Scripture. And that's why I say the Holy Spirit always does His work in conjunction with Scripture. He allows us to take the things that we have read to have understanding of it, and produces inside of us, as we yield ourselves to Him, produces inside of us a desire to follow these things. I've seen so many Christians that have lived an impeccable life outwardly, but there is no joy in their life at all. I mean, none. You almost, when you see them, the look on their face, or you talk with them, you feel like, Man, these people are the most miserable people in the world. Why is that? Because they're like, and I don't mean to be mean, but they're like the Pharisees. They were worried about the outside of the cup being clean, and their heart was not where it needed to be in walking with the Spirit, yielding yielding them to Him. They were more concerned about, what are my other brothers and sisters in my church going to think about me if I don't live this way? And that became a motivation for them. Or, what is, what is my pastor going to think of me if I don't have these in my life? And so they lived an outwardly clean life for the benefit of others. And not because they were walking in the Spirit. Can I tell you, a person that does that is a person that will take this list and say, that's what I need to put into my life. Rather than saying, I want to yield myself and follow after the Spirit as I understand it from God's Word. And let it bear fruit in me. And allow these things to be the measuring tape that I come back to often to see how I'm doing. Am I living up to this? Do I? And by the way, we don't get to pick and choose. This fruit of the Spirit is all-inclusive of these. All of them are to be apparent. You say, well, I've got love, Pastor, but boy, that gentleness, I'm not real good at that one. That peace, I'm not real good at that one. That long-suffering, I'm not real good at that one. Then that... that, uh, uh, that uh, love that you have or whatever it is that you think you have, that's something you've done. That's your work. That's your fruit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is all of these. It will, it will accomplish itself in there. Hold your place here for a minute and turn with me, if you will. We're going to look at each of these a minute in a minute. But look with me, if you will, in Psalm 1. And I've, I've taught a little bit on this before, but I just want to reiterate uh, something very clearly from Psalm 1. Because, again, the psalmist uses a very similar analogy here uh, of uh, the, the fruit that is born in a person's life. He starts the Psalm 1 by saying, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But, again, a contrasting conjunction here, something to show a contrast between people that would walk after the counsel of the ungodly, people that would stand in the way of sinners, people that would sit in the seat of a scorner, and a person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. 
There's a contrast drawn. They're at odds. They're opposites of each other. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a, what? Tree. What's the next word here? Planted by the rivers of water. Uh, that bringeth forth his, what? Fruit. How is the fruit born? I think there's a couple things to look at here. Number one, <coughs> you have to be planted. If you're, if you're not saved, if you don't have roots already in God Himself, in the true vine, then you need to be planted. There's a couple things about planting that I think are very, very important. One of them is there's got to be um, a plan in place. I've never seen a gardener yet that... <clears throat> went out and bought a bunch of seed and then drove somewhere out in the county blindfolded and started throwing the seed out. He planned a place for it to be. He planned exactly how deep he was going to do. He wanted certain moisture in the soil. He, he prepared things. There was a plan involved. And by the way, uh, I'll tell you this, God has a plan for every single one of us. In order for the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives, we have to be fulfilling His plan for our life. There's a plantedness that God gives to each one of us. And I used to preach a message years ago, and the title of it was, Bloom Where You're Planted. A lot of times we think, boy, if I could just get to this point, I could do this for the Lord. No, do something for the Lord now. He may take you there, but don't wait till then to serve the Lord. Bloom where you're planted. Why? Because God has you there for a reason. So I believe there's a plan involved. Secondly, I want you to notice this from this, this verse in verse number 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of what? Water, there has to be some nourishment for it. If I'm going to walk in the Spirit and bear some fruit, I've got to be getting spiritual what? Water, spiritual nourishment. Where do I get that? From God's Word. I cannot emphasize enough that if we're going to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to be yielded to the Spirit, if we're going to not just crucify the flesh, but, but diligently pursue after living the life that God has for us, there has got to be an absolute love and a, a devouring of God's Holy Word. Understanding it, knowing it, and allowing the Holy Spirit then to take what we know from His Word and apply it into our lives. If you will, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. <coughs> and uh, let's see here. I wasn't going to use this passage, so give me a moment to find the reference here. Give me the book of Ephesians, <coughs> chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. The Bible says this in verse number 18. <coughs> and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that's an interesting phrase, being filled with the Spirit. He gives a list then, after he does this verse, he gives a list of things that characterize someone who is filled with the Spirit. He starts in verse 19 with speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have singing to ourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. We have giving thanks to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And he goes and breaks that down. Wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives. Children submitting to their parents. Uh, uh, servants submitting to their masters. And he says all of those things are the result of a person who is 
filled with the Spirit. Now keep that in mind for a moment. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. <coughs> Colossians. And uh, let's go to... Oh, let's see here. Get the right place. Do I have the right place? Yeah, I think I do. Give me just a minute. All right. Let's go to... Um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Give me just a minute to find the right place. Okay, there we go. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go to verse number 16 for a minute. Okay? Keeping in mind what we just read in Ephesians. Look in verse number 16 in Colossians. It says this. Let the Word of Christ, what? Dwell in you. Dwell in you. That's an interesting phrase. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. If I were to give any kind of Bible explanation of the phrase, walk in the Spirit, I can find no better one in Scripture than this phrase found in Colossians chapter 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, this is interesting because letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom has some results that come from that. Let's see what they are. Verse number 16 admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wives, submit uh, yourselves unto your own husbands. We find that in verse number 18. Children, obeying your parents. We find that there. Verse number 19. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, uh, servants, verse number 22, uh, obeying their masters. The exact same things that happen by letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom are the exact same things that happen when we are filled with the Spirit. They are one in the same. If there's anything I could do to try to help us understand the phrase, walk in the Spirit, because we preach on that and we talk about that a lot, and we, we amen it, and we come to an altar and say, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And then we go home and we think, but how do I walk in the Spirit? What does that mean? I, what do I do then? I think the best definition of it for us to understand the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I think we have to understand this from, from Colossians 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. There's a lot to that saying. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, not just anyway, but richly with all wisdom. What was he saying? He's saying, feast on this Word and then ask for the Holy Spirit to give wisdom to understand it. And then do it. (laughs) Let it dwell in you. Don't just know it. Let it be part of your life. All right? Now, now that we know what walking in the Spirit is and what the fruit of the Spirit is produced by, let's go back to the book of Galatians for a moment. So let's look at chapter number 5 again in light of what we just looked at. In light of the fact that to walk in the Spirit 
has to include us letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. Now, as we walk in the Spirit, a fruit will be produced. It's going to happen. It's not something we say, okay, I want this piece over here and I want this piece over here. It's one fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. And He produces all of it in us. For us to say, well, I'm good in this area, Pastor, but not that area, tells me that, that we are producing our fruit and not His. Only when we have all of this do we feel like we are having the fruit of the Spirit in us and not our own fruit. Look with me at verse number 22 at what this list is. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Top of the list. We understand that Paul was a very strong advocate of this. Um, he spoke quite highly in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We consider it the love chapter of the Bible and the idea of um, it being uh, the greatest of the three, uh, faith, uh, faith, love, and charity, or faith, uh, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is charity. Uh, he, he thought very highly of this. Love for what? Love for what? Does that mean I just have great love in my heart? Well, I could love the world pretty, pretty good, couldn't I? Love for what? What is he talking about here? Love for God's Word. If I'm walking in the Spirit, and this is the Spirit's fruit in me, I'm going to have a love for His Word. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take this book and say, uh, I don't have to read this. I don't, I don't have to do what it says. I get to read this. I get to do what it says. This, this, this Word is a blessed book to me. Something that I cherish. Something that I, I, I long for. Why? Because it's part of that fruit that's produced. So he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Notice he says joy. <laughs> do we have joy? I, when people come around you, do they enjoy being around you? Now, I'm not saying you never have a problem that you don't share with a brother or sister. I'm not talking about that. But you know what I'm talking about. The personality of the person. Their, their day-to-day life. Do you see joy in them? I'm not saying they're not going through a hard time and have some sorrow here and there. But is there an underlying characteristic of them of joy in their life? Joy. Notice he says this, peace. We talked a little bit ago uh, in the earlier service about uh, having, a, <clears throat> having a, an evenness to the Christian life, a steadiness. Make sure that we're, we're not having excessive uh, swings of any one thing. Can I tell you this? There's a wonderful peace that comes when you walk in the Spirit. He's known as the great comforter. He's known as the one that was promised to come and bring comfort to our hearts. And so if anyone in this world ought to have peace, it ought to be Christians, don't you think? But not if we're not walking in the Spirit. Not if we're not doing what Colossians 3 says. Notice he says it's love, joy, peace. How about long-suffering? How long-suffering are we? Somebody does us wrong and... We forgive them, don't we? And then they do us wrong again, and we reluctantly forgive them. And then they do us wrong again, and we say, this is the last time I'll forgive them. And then they do us wrong again. I'm not saying you need to encourage people to do you wrong, but how often are we to forgive? Are we patient with them? 
Can I encourage you in this? You, how many of you have been saved more than five years? Let's, let's do that. Anybody more than ten years? Twenty years? Okay. Uh, have you ever thought of this? You are today something that you were not when you got saved. And it has taken years for you to get from there to where you are today. And a lot of bumps and scrapes and bruises, I'm sure. Probably sometimes where we really made some great strides for God and then maybe even backslid some and had to do it again. And I think we can all relate to that, can we not? Why is it that we're so impatient with people other than ourselves that are going through that same struggle? Instead of coming alongside of them and saying, Brother, I'm praying for you because, man, I was there. In fact, let me share some things that, I, that helped me through those times. Let me try to be a help to you. Let me be praying for you. We begin to kick them and, and punch them and spit them out and say, I don't want to have you around me. I'm not talking about somebody that's a scorner. That's, you understand where I'm going with this. I'm talking about somebody who's living the Christian life who maybe is not quite where I am yet or where you are yet. By the way, there's always someone that's further along in the Christian life than I am. And I would hope and pray that they would be long-suffering with me and that they would love me and encourage me along the way. Why is it that we oftentimes neglect this thing of long-suffering? Are any of us going to be perfect before we get to heaven? Any of us? Then think about how long God has had to be long-suffering with us. Long time. Think about how much longer He's going to have to continue to be long-suffering for us. And He is our example. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Do I tolerate their sin and not say anything about it? Oh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's come alongside them and try to be a help to them. Let's, let's, let's understand the fact that they're going through things that we also went through at some time. And we're going to be there to help them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to be an accountability for them. Let's not kick them and spit them out. Shoo them away. Be careful of that. I think the next one comes into play as... as excellent in timing of the list because I think it goes hand in hand with the long suffering and that is gentleness. I preached a message years ago, <clears throat> fragile handle with care. Because the truth of the matter is people are fragile. I don't care how tough some of us think we are, there's a fragileness about us and we all know where it is. We may not like to admit it, but there are times people can break us. They can hurt us. They can cut us deep. And we've got to be careful that we understand that and treat with gentleness. This is a mark. This is a, a fruit. This is something produced in us by the Holy Spirit of God. Goodness. Goodness. <coughs> Faith. <coughs> I think some of these are fairly self-explanatory. How about meekness? Oftentimes we think way higher of ourselves than we should. Oftentimes we set ourselves up as the judge and jury of everybody that does not think the way I think. We all have that tendency, don't we? I'm going to tell you, I struggle with that one a lot. 
Because we all have that tendency. I've got enough flaws in and of myself, although I don't see them. But I can sure tell you the flaws in Brother Mark or Brother Jim or Miss Linda. I can, I'm quick to be able to see those, just not mine. And the truth is, uh, we've got to be careful of this. That uh, not only are we long-suffering and gentle and good and have faith, but that there is a spirit of meekness about us. Understanding I'm not what I'm supposed to be either. I will be one day, and I'm grateful for that. And I ought to be trying to become more like that. But I'm still not there yet. Even the Apostle Paul, as great of a Christian as he is, he said, not that I have already attained. He said, I haven't done it yet. I have not reached it yet. I've striven for it. I've, I've, I've tried to get there. I haven't attained yet. I, I'm, still, I'm still a work in progress. In fact, Paul even said it this way. He said, there's things I know I shouldn't do. I, I do them. And he said, I know there's things that I should be doing, and I, I, I don't do them. It bothered him. I don't think we should do those things without conscience. It bothered him. But he said, I haven't arrived yet. Paul, one of the great Christians, one of the men who was used to write more Scripture than any other writer of his, uh, in history, had a spirit of meekness about him. Oh, he's a powerful preacher, wasn't he? Boy, you listen to some of his preaching. Scathing preaching. I mean, he, he skins you to the bone when he preached sometimes. And then as soon as he was out of that pulpit, he was a meek fellow. He understood, I'm a sinner just like everybody else too. We're all striving for this. A spirit of meekness is part of what the Spirit produces in us. That understanding. Temperance. Temperance. We talked a little bit about that last hour. And Paul says this, Against such there is no law. And then he makes the great statements in verses 24 and 25 that I think are key to this entire subject of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have we crucified the flesh? (laughs) We're living in a day where we tend to coddle the flesh. There is a, even in God's house and among God's people, there is a temptation, there is that constant uh, desire to coddle the flesh. The pleasures of sin seem to be fun, and they are for a season, the Bible says, but they always cost an awful lot. They, they always leave scars. I've recently had to try to help a few folks that are in a very difficult situation in life, very difficult. And they had it because of their past life. And uh, they've gotten right with God, and God's forgiven them. And I'm thankful for that. And boy, it's a miracle to see the transforming work that God does. But the rest of their lives, they'll carry those scars. The scars are there. Are we crucified to the flesh? Have we made that, that distinct decision? Have we done as the Apostle Paul has done or said, I'm crucified with Christ? I want my old nature to be dead to me. I don't want to have any part of it. Instead, I want this new thing that's alive inside of me, this Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. I want that to be paramount. I want to pursue after that. So he says in verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions, 
and lust. If we live in the Spirit, sounds like maybe the Spirit dwelling in us, the Word of Christ dwelling richly, dwelling in us richly with all wisdom. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's not enough for us to simply put off works of flesh, to put all of our focus on things I am not going to do. I fear sometimes that we identify ourselves as God's people. We identify ourselves sometimes as independent Baptists by what we are not. And I think for far too long we have done that. I think there's an awful lot of things that we ought to not do according to Scripture. But that's not my identity. My identity is not what I've crucified. My identity is what I'm living for. And so we've got to make sure that we walk in the Spirit. It's not enough to just crucify the, the works of the flesh, but to live walking in the Spirit. So let's, let's think of this idea this week as we go through our life. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it do its effective work in our hearts. And I believe that God will allow us to walk in the Spirit and start bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I hope that will be a help to us. And I think we ought to use that as a a measurement from time to time. Lord, how am I doing? Do I have this being borne out in my life? And I hope that will help. Let's stand together and we dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, as we study it, I pray that you would help us to rightly divide it and that we will rightly apply it. Lord, so often we read passages. We've read these things. Many of us can recite them inside and out. We can, we've known them for years. But the truth is they have become almost monotonous to us in a head knowledge. And we've missed the application of them. We've misunderstood the purpose of them. And so, Father, may we rightly understand them and put them and apply them into our hearts and our lives. And may we use them effectively as your Holy Spirit guides and directs us throughout this week. Lord, bless as we go through this week. Would you please provide us opportunity uh, to share the gospel, to be a help spiritually to others. And, Lord, may we in our own lives walk in the Spirit this week. We pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.